Genesis chapter 45, verses 4 through 5. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Please come closer to me. And they came closer. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me here before you to preserve life. Welcome to Walking Through the Book. I'm Stephen McCrary. And I'm Bryant Bales. And today we'd like to talk with you about the Bible. Specifically, we want to discuss Genesis chapters 44 and 45 today. Walking Through the Book is all about these three things. We want to encourage Bible reading. We want to demonstrate proper and responsible study of the Bible. And we want to emphasize what the text says, no more and no less. We're so grateful for you taking the time to be with us today on the podcast. Before we start, we do want to let you know how to get in touch with us. You can find us on Facebook. If you Google at Walking Through the Book, you'll find us right there very easily. You can also email us, walkingthroughthebook at protonmail.com. You can also go to the website that hosts this podcast, northcolumbuschristians.com. That is the uh, website of the North Columbus Church of Christ, the congregation that I work and worship with here in Columbus, Mississippi. And of course, we would invite you to come be a part of what we're doing here, uh, especially if you're coming through town at some point or if you happen to be moving here. We'd love to hear from you and uh, love to connect with you about the work here in Columbus, Mississippi. Uh, Bryant, so glad to be with you again this week. And yeah. uh, I think uh, I think we missed a week Mm-hmm. Uh, somewhere in the past uh, week or so, but I think we're being a little bit more consistent now, so we can be thankful for that. Uh, mm-hmm. Thank you so much for for taking the time to uh, you know to to record this with me. And um, why don't you go over the flow of the program, of course, like we usually do, and of course let our listeners know how to get in touch with you. Absolutely. Uh, so um, I work with the Garden City Church of Christ, and we meet. Uh, just west of downtown Savannah, Georgia, um, forty-five hundred six Augusta Road. If you uh, would ever like to put that in your GPS and um, stop by, if you're in the area, uh, we have a website, GardenCityCoc.org, and we're working on a new website that may have a different domain name in the future. Um, but that domain name should uh, direct you there, um, even while even while the new website gets put up. Um, but, but yeah, so we, um, uh, just a small group of, uh, brethren who just deeply love God and are really trying to serve him in the community here and reach out to our community. Um, we'd love to see you sometime. And, uh, as far as the flow of the program, uh, we just keep it really simple. We're just reading scripture and talking about it with reverence and respect for what it is. And so we just, uh, do an initial reading where we make some observations, uh, maybe just things that uh, stuck out to us, facts or details about the the chapter or chapters um, that we'll be doing today specifically. 
And after initial observations, we try to connect some themes together. Uh, the Old Testament, uh, Genesis, connecting things to Christ or to the church. Uh, and then we try to make some applications uh, at the conclusion of every episode uh, to try to uh, bring it all bring it all together and, and put some things down that we can try to take with us outside of the context of the study as well. Genesis 44. And he commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Also put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, and his grain money. So he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. As soon as the morning dawned, the men were sent away, they and their donkeys. When they had gone out of the city and were not yet far off, Joseph said to his steward, Get up. Follow them in. And when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is not this the one from which my Lord drinks, and with which he indeed practices divination? You have done evil in so doing. So he overtook them, and he spoke to them these same words. And they said to him, Why does my Lord say these words? Far be it from us that your servants should do such a thing. Look, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? With whomever of your servants it is found, let him die, and we also will be my Lord's slaves. And he said, Now also let it be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my slave, and you shall be blameless. Then each man speedily let down his sack to the ground, and each opened his sack. So he searched. He began with the oldest and left off with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and each man loaded his donkey and returned to the city. So Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, and he was still there. And they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said to them, What deed is this you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I can certainly practice divination? Then Judah said, What shall we say to my lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and he also with whom the cup was found. But he said, Far be it from me that I should do so. The man in whose hand the cup was found, he shall be my slave. And as for you, go up in peace to your father. Then Judah came near to him and said, O my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing. And do not let your anger burn against your servant. For you are even like Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age, who is young. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. 
And we said to my Lord, The lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. But you said to your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall see my face no more. So it was, when we went up to your servant my father, that we told him the words of my Lord, and our father said, Go back and buy us a little food. But we said, We cannot go down. If our youngest brother is with us, then we will go down, for we may not see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant my father said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons, and the one went out from me. And I said, Surely he is torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. But if you take this one from me, and calamity befalls him, you shall bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Now therefore, when I come to your servant my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it will happen, when he sees that the lad is not with us, that he will die. So your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant our father with sorrow to the grave. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me, lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father? Chapter 45 Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried, Have everyone go out from me. So there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard of it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Please come closer to me. And they came closer. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth, and to keep you alive by great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord over all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not delay. You shall live in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will also provide for you, for there are still five years of famine to come, and you and your household and all that you have would be impoverished. Behold, your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth which is speaking to you. Now you must tell my father of all that my splendor in Egypt, and all that you have seen, and you must hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. He kissed all his brothers and wept on them, and afterward his brothers talked with him. Now when the news was heard in Pharaoh's house that Joseph's brothers had come, it pleased Pharaoh and his servants. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this, load your beasts and go to the land of Canaan, and take your father and your households and come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you will eat the fat of the land. Now you are ordered, do this, 
Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Do not concern yourselves with your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each of them he gave changes of garments, but to Benjamin he gave three hundred pieces of silver and five changes of garments. To his father he sent as follows, ten donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt, and ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and sustenance for his father on the journey. So he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, Do not quarrel on the journey. Then they went up from Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. They told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and indeed he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. But he was stunned, for he did not believe them. When they told him all the words of Joseph that he had spoken to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. Then Israel said, It is enough. My son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Welcome to Initial Observations, where we take a look at this chapter or chapters in their uh, local context, and we're really not going to go far beyond the book of Genesis at all. Really, we'll try to stay in these chapters in this section, and uh, uh, and we do this really to kind of focus in and just kind of see what kind of story do we have here, and what are some things that just really jumped out at us. Uh, during that reading, um, you know, I can't help but be struck with, again, how far, and this kind of goes along with uh, Judah in the previous chapter, how much Judah is willing to really stick his neck out and really right. uh, have this sense where I, I'm willing to do this, you know, for the sake of, of my brother. Yeah. Well, really uh, for the sake of his father. Right, right. Yeah. And I think it's interesting in verse 14, it says when Judah and his brothers came, I think that's, that's interesting. Yeah, that's, that's really, yeah, I hadn't noticed that actually. That's a, that's a very, very good point. So Judah is almost like center stage here as far as who's being looked at. Um, Yeah. So. Yeah. You look at verse 16. So Judah said, and then verse 18, then Judah approached him. So it's, it's just interesting. Mm. And, you know, I would say really chapter 44 just feels very similar to what we've already gotten. Uh, he mm. continues to try to be stern with them. Um, but, you know, I, I, this obviously falls apart. <laughs> and I think specifically, I think it's the the mention of Israel and what this would do to him. And what he said about this, and, you know, I have to wonder, I I don't know what Joseph has been thinking about his father this whole time. Um, I'm sure he loves his father no matter what, but 
it, it must have been interesting. I would think it would be interesting to know that my father is still so distraught over over my loss. And right. uh, to, to realize that, that might have been the emotional hmm. strain that sort of drove him over the edge to actually reveal himself to his brothers. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so obviously in chapter 45, you have a very, very emotional scene. And I think there's emotion on all sides of this. And I can't even begin to imagine the shock that his brothers had over this. Um, because mm. really, I mean, what has it been like? It's been at least ten or fifteen years, right? You know, I'm I'm actually not sure. I heard someone recently like actually put a date on how long uh, Joseph was in Egypt before he brought his family there, and I'm not sure how that person got that date. So I'm I'm not sure there there might be a date somewhere that maybe like one of the one of the New Testament sermons that overviews. Um, the, the timeline of some of these events. Cause sometimes it says like time frames that aren't in the old Testament. I don't know. There, there might be like, uh, years of life, you know, cause that that's primarily mm. how you can construct some of this stuff. Like, you know, like I, I actually recently w- found out that we really, when you do the math and everything, uh, Abraham actually died when Jacob and Esau were 15 years old. And the reason you come to that conclusion is because of essentially how long Abraham lived versus how old Abraham was when uh, when Isaac was married, and then how old Isaac was when Jacob and Esau were born. And it comes out to be that way. And so just little things like that maybe can be helpful. I'd have to really look at this in detail. So I, I'm... I don't really have an, an answer for that right now, but, um, but you know, the, the love that that's here is very, very palpable and it's very easy to see how Joseph really, he just can't keep it together any longer. Yeah. yeah it's interesting that emphasis in verse two, that he wept so loudly that the Egyptians and the whole household of Pharaoh could hear it. Imagine just his brothers like standing outside and they're just like, what is going on here? (laughs) Yeah. And he's doing it right in front of them. Like when he said, have everyone go out, like they were still standing there. It was just them and him. Mm. So I just imagine he starts like screaming and wailing and they're just standing there almost like frightened, like, whoa. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that, that, that would be pretty intimidating, I would think. Because here's this guy that basically holds your life in his hands, but you know it. it I, I love how Pharaoh basically comes up with this idea. Pharaoh's the one that comes up with the plan to bring his family there to Egypt, and, right. and again, I think that's that goes back to this great appreciation that Pharaoh has for Joseph, and it speaks toward. I mean, it's like a guy, the guy that you work, work for saying, Hey, you know, uh, take off the afternoon and spend some time with your family or something like that. You know, it's that kind of thing where 
you have that level of appreciation towards someone who's working for you. That's, that's how I read that and see that. What do you think, Brian? I'm sorry. I was distracted looking at something in the text. What'd you say? It's okay. No, don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> I was like, staring. I was staring at something. no, I was talking about how Pharaoh comes up with the plan to bring oh, yes, the yes, family yes. back. And it's, it's just, it, it is reminiscent of, you know, your boss, your employer saying, Hey, take, take the afternoon off and go spend it with your family or something. Mm, mm, yeah, no, that, I think that's, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it clearly shows that Joseph had a surprising degree of favor with Pharaoh, even, I mean, obviously he had favor because of the position he was put in, but I mean, like, like you're saying, Joseph or Pharaoh rather was, was going way above and beyond here. It just shows the deep affection he had for Joseph. And it's, you know, well, there's some other things that we'll say about that. <laughs> um, but what were you seeing in the text? What were you looking at a second ago? What are some things that really jumped out at you, Brian? Um, what was I looking at? Um, I was looking at uh, 45. I think it's interesting that Joseph says twice. Uh, you know, I, I, well, I guess, well, pff, let me, one, one step at a time, one step at a time. Okay, so... <laughs> First thing I was looking at was, you know, Joseph says in verse five and verse seven that God sent him there. I mean, what an amazing perception, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, and it just what's amazing about these chapters is it seems like so much is being drawn out of the heart, you know, and it seems like God had orchestrated all of this and given Joseph the wisdom to orchestrate this were like the heart is what's being seen in all of this. And it's just amazing how deep within Joseph's heart in verse five and seven, you know, he recognizes that he's been sent there by God specifically for the sake of his family. And you imagine how much he's been thinking about that. And I just think that's, that's really amazing that he acknowledges that to them twice. And it shows that he, has some sort of understanding of God's providence. And, uh, you know, I was mentioning, right, definitely. um, I had a lesson, uh, that I preached where my dad preaches the other day down in, uh, Columbus, Georgia. And, uh, it kind of made the point to start is a sermon about Joseph. And I kind of made the point to start that it's really fascinating how all these patriarchs, are manifesting things about their relationship with God that we will, that we see very clearly in the new Testament. This is the way that a Christian ought to be thinking. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that, that statement, I'm, I'm breaking the rules a little bit here, but that statement that, you know, God sent me here, uh, really does make me think about James four, you know, uh, say if the Lord wills, then we shall go do in this and that, you know, Mm -hmm. um, that just reminds me of that statement. So, so something else I, I was thinking about, uh, 45 verse five, do not be grieved or angry with yourselves. And then verse 24, he, it seems like a very solemn warning. He says, do not quarrel on the journey. And so he's like really pressing them. Like, don't, don't be angry with each other, you know? And, what do you, why, why do you think he did that? Like, I don't, I don't just don't think I've thought about that before. I think that's probably been something I've just read over and just never stopped to contemplate. Why does he 
tell his brothers over and over again, like, don't quarrel, don't be upset with each other. Um, well, uh, my, my translation, New King James says, see that you do not become troubled along the way. Um, so it may point toward guilt. Um, I may, maybe this is stretching it, but I get the impression here that Jacob, uh, that Joseph is saying, don't let the guilt overwhelm you on the way back. And mm, that's how I would pull from that. Um, the other possibility, if, if it is indeed saying, you know, don't fight amongst each other on the way back. Um, maybe it could be something where he's concerned that the brothers will start to blame each other over what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So I wonder if they're, he, he's concerned that they may fear that he's going to have a ulterior motive to punish them or something. Oh Yeah. Which, which will, I mean, we'll, we'll see that later, I think much later, but, but yeah, I wonder if he's, he's anticipating that and, and just really concerned that their thoughts would go there and he doesn't want them to be distracted by that. Again, it's a heart of grace and peace and mercy towards them that's being manifested. And it's like the way that he is treating them is the same way that he was treating them before. It's just that he has dropped the pretense and he is not being outwardly harsh toward them anymore. And it's almost like if, if there was any kind of testing that he was trying to do beforehand, he's maybe he felt like he had done all the testing, but I, I, I get more of the sense that he was so overwhelmed with the emotion of the situation that he just couldn't hold back anymore. Just the grace that was being shown by Joseph to his brothers without him requiring for them to recognize him. Like, it seems like he was giving them the option to leave and just that be the end of it outside of Joseph having to, or I'm sorry, Benjamin having to come back. But this whole like silver pitcher thing is so interesting. Like he puts this silver pitcher in Benjamin's sack and apparently this was like a divination thing. Uh, yeah, I don't know what to make of that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, either just kind of, kind of strange. I'm sure there's some kind of. So, I don't know if this might this might sound presumptuous, but some of these unusual things you just you get accustomed sometimes to things being types. Because I've just I've I've just been surprised sometimes. You, you think about a text, you read something, and and then you see a connection. You're like, wait a minute, this wow, this there's a reason for this. Like, for instance, give you an example, kind of break what I'm talking about for a second. Jesus folds his garments in the tomb. You know, he folds his garments in the tomb. Uh, when he raises from the dead, uh, the high priest actually, uh, in going in and out of the most holy place at one point had to fold his garments and leave them, uh, before finishing the process and leaving the tabernacle completely. So this, this little detail about Jesus folding his garments it turns out is some major type of what the high priest did on the day of atonement uh, before completing his work. And so I just, I say all that to say that like maybe, you know, verse five, that strange little thing is actually some weird type, but anyway, okay. yeah, <laughs> it's just, it's, it's very unusual. It's very, it's, it's just, it's so strange. You know, it's hard to ignore how strange that is. I mean, obviously it was well known. It seems like the Egyptians know that's what, Joseph uses it for. And 
Yeah, because in verse 8, he's like, hey, don't you know? You know that someone like me can practice this divination? <laughs> I'm sorry, not 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 verse 8. What am I looking at here? Uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, what, what am I looking for, Steve? It's where he says, do you not know that? Uh, verse 15. Uh, there you go. Yeah, verse 15. Such yeah, a man as I. Thank you. Oh, hey, and then there's another thing I noticed. Uh, verse 14, they fell to the ground before him. Every other time they bowed very um, formally, but this time they fell to the ground before Joseph. And it's it's interesting that they fall to the ground out of shame, conviction, guilt, and that's the point where Joseph can reveal himself to them, not when they've just been formally bowing. Like it had to go further, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's much more of a, uh, humble place that they draw themselves down to. Um, yeah. I wonder if they were even in that position when Joseph in chapter 45 could no longer restrain himself. Like if Judah approached him while the others were still prostrated on the ground. I would assume that that's the case. I don't, the text doesn't seem to suggest that they ever really stood up from that position. Yeah. Interesting. And I guess one last thing, um, speaking of them being prostrate verse nine of chapter 44, I just think is amazing. You know, like they, they say, you know, how could we steal whoever this is found with? He's going to die. And then we're all going to be the Lord's slaves. Like, Wow. You know, they, they just keep taking curses on themselves. It's it's just interesting. Yeah, again, again, not trying to defend themselves or haughtily trying to establish their innocence. Right. Oh, man, I'm sorry. There's another thing. In verse 16, how can we justify ourselves? Wow. God has found out the iniquity of your servants. I mean, just wow. That's incredible. What an amazing thing to say. Like, <laughs> Wow. Now we want to draw the picture a little bit bigger, and we want to encompass the context of the whole Bible and make these connections between books, between eras, over uh, really hundreds of years, thousands of years sometimes, to pull these things together and appreciate the harmony that God has really uh, placed in the Bible that's all throughout. And so uh, one thing that we just got finished talking about was in, in verse 16, how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. These are uh, Joseph's brothers, and it, it's an inclusive thing. And I think about, for example, you know, Daniel's prayer. And, oh. Whoa, are you okay? Sorry, keep, going. keep going. No, 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 no. Uh, the, 
the cup is a type of the cup that Jesus drank. It's it's like, oh man, no, okay, yeah. Okay, Bryant is he is okay, ladies and gentlemen. I just want to let you know he's there's nothing wrong with him. Um, because <laughs> uh, that 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 sounded like something had hit you or something. It's oh, um, no, I just I just wanted to point out that that's kind of the same thing that you see with the prophets and other pla- places where people are praying to God. Mm-hmm. They are including themselves in the national wrong, even though they themselves may not have actually done the same thing that God is holding over the, the over Israel, if that makes sense, uh, you know, right. Right. But, uh, but go ahead, go ahead with the, with the thing that caused you to, to blurt out that, that grunt, Bryant. Um, I think I'll have to, I'll have to think about that more, but I, there, there is something close to that though, that, um, so in verse 18 is the longest speech in the book of Genesis. Oh, wow. Yeah. Judah gives the longest speech in the entire book of Genesis. Hmm. And isn't it interesting? It's a speech from one man approaching a king. And he's approaching that king on the basis of sacrificing himself as a scapegoat for another. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's really really fascinating. Yeah. And then doing it because of his concern for the grief of his father. Hmm. And on the basis of oath. I mean, man, wow. I mean, how many connections <laughs> are there, you know? Yeah, because I mean, that's again, Judah is acting in a almost Christ-like way here. Definitely putting himself in the place of the intercessor. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And, and it really shows from chapter 38 when Judah, we talked about in chapter 38, Judah and Tamar, how much that was a vital component of Judah becoming the one through whom the Christ would eventually arise. Uh, His conviction when he said to, Tamar that she should be burned alive for her sin but then when he realized that he was the guilty one and he was found out he said she's more righteous than I that that changed Judah I think this is the ultimate evidence of that change you know that Judah had become so humble he had just really he had really become like you just said such a type of Christ because of that conviction and this is really what this is the this is the speech that sort of is is the watershed that breaks down Joseph's wall. Right, 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 right. Yeah. And that, there's there's implications there as well because I mean, what is Jesus doing? Uh, but he is breaking down the wall of separation that was between the Jews and the Gentiles. Right. Joseph Joseph point. is among the Gentiles right now. And now this wall of separation that was between us is being broken down uh, through the the appealing of an intercessor to consider right. what's going to happen. Consider the grief of his father over this situation. Um, yeah, lo- uh, layers upon layers there, I think. Um, 
So verse 3 of chapter 45 reminded me of when Jesus risen was risen from the dead and appeared to his disciples, and they were so shocked that they still didn't believe even though they saw him. It says his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence, you know? So it's like when when Joseph revealed who he really was, even though they had been seeing him the whole time, it just was so shocking to them to see him in that form. They just couldn't believe it, and they were afraid. And that's exactly like when Jesus rose from the dead, the disciples just couldn't believe what they were seeing, the true, the true fulfillment of the promise of Christ, the dream reaching its fulfillment, the vision reaching its, re- reaching its, its mm-hmm. end, you know. Which then fulfills uh, verse 6, or I'm sorry, verse uh, 5 and 7. Um, you know, the idea of him being sent to preserve a remnant in the earth and to keep alive through a great deliverance. That's the same thing as when Jesus rose from the dead. That's exactly what the message was from the book of Acts forward is that Christ was sent to preserve a remnant of faith and to provide a great deliverance in the earth. Oh man. Whoa. And then, Ooh, okay. Wow. So, Oh, Joseph told his brothers not to quarrel. Wow. And that's just like when the disciples abandoned and betrayed Jesus and Peter denied Jesus. When they came back, Jesus wasn't trying to beat them up for running away. He wasn't trying to make them feel like they needed to be angry at one another for the different ways that they had abandoned him or try to blame each other. All of that was was done. The work of suffering was done in him. And so they just needed to accept the kindness of that deliverance. And that's, that's like the same thing here with Joseph is Joseph wasn't concerned about them continuing to blame one another. That was over with. Now was the time for salvation and deliverance. Mm. And, and what's amazing here too. I mean, it's kind of in the same sense that what did the resurrection provide for the apostles? It provided all the evidence they could ever need. And it seems like after that, any kind of questions or any kind of doubts they had about who Jesus was were completely erased. Um, Now, they still don't quite, you know, based on Acts chapter one, we can still see they don't quite get exactly what Jesus's aim and purpose is in terms of the nation of Israel, because they're asking, will you now restore the kingdom to Israel? But, um, you know, certainly after the day of Pentecost, I mean, everybody's on board. Everybody's full steam ahead. Um, and, and I wouldn't necessarily say that uh, that Joseph's brothers are you know super good at this point, but I'll say this: we don't really have any problems with them in the rest of the text. Now there are some things that Joseph, right. excuse me, that Jacob, that Israel says about his sons and his blessings for his sons, and we'll get to that. Um, but there's no more fighting between Joseph and his brothers. There's no more bitterness that I can mm. tell. I mean, I can't. I can't imagine. You know, how could right. you not? How could they not have a better relationship with Joseph than they had before? I, oh, I don't. Yeah. I just don't see how that's right. even really possible. And uh, and, and I want to say this too. And this is just sort of. Um, I, I guess this could be considered outside of the text, but I really do want to mention this. There's a tomb that's been found. And I don't know all the details of this, but there's been a tomb that's been found uh, and excavated in Egypt that 
apparently has remains of a statue of a man and then 12 uh, different or 11 different other uh, tombs in that same room. And that man in the center uh, seems to have had a multicolored robe on him. And if that, this is a huge if, so just take this with a grain of salt. Uh, If that is Joseph's tomb, it seems like he was buried with his brothers, which again would suggest a familial closeness there, if that's indeed what happened. Again, that is totally not, you know, that's out of the text. Maybe I shouldn't even be mentioning that because it's sort of outside of the purview of this program. But, uh, I mean, I find that interesting, Bryant. Hmm. Yeah, Indeed. not much to say about that. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, uh, you know, it, what a great ending to this story. Um, that, uh, that Israel, at the end of this, is saying, you know, Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. How, how happy is he at that point? I mean, I can't even imagine. And uh, how, how much does he still appreciate uh, Joseph? And it says uh, in, in verse 28 that Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. He has the same kind of disbelief that his sons had. Mm, and that's, that should give light to like how we should respond to the reality of the resurrection. Like it's dangerous for me to just get used to the idea that Jesus rose from the dead, but man, like that should just the promises of the resurrection. And then the promises of what kind of inheritance is awaiting those who are saved and what happened to me in salvation, how my life has already been risen from, from the dead and, God has granted me a position with Christ in the heavenly places, adopted as a son. I mean, there's just, there's so much to understand. And, you know, I feel like stories like this has helped me appreciate, like the idea of returned life should just be the most unbelievable thing, you know? And you see that with the disciples, their reactions were so sincere and, oh, there's just something wrong when it's just an idea that I'm not amazed by, you know? And it should be something where we should be always considering and always looking for even more evidence concerning these things in the, in the text. And, you know, whatever we can find historically uh, that, that kind of helps us understand some of these things as well. But uh, primarily the more we look at this, the more we pull this together. Um, Yeah. We should be absolutely awed about, about the resurrection and the amazement of it. And it's the same sense that, you know, I've mentioned to you before, and and uh, Bryant, that I, I think that Doubting Thomas has a bad rap. You know, people call him Doubting Thomas, but all he's looking for is evidence. And we need to be willing to look at that evidence as well and appreciate that evidence because God's left it for a reason. Um, I mean, what if, what if Joseph had just flatly said, I don't believe you. You guys are lying about Joseph or, you know. Uh, what if Jacob had just simply said, I'm not going down to Egypt on, you know, based on a lie? Well, he might not have seen his son <laughs> unless, you know, unless his son went up there. But, you know, we can what if all the time. But um, just what what a really 
amazing story uh, that this has been so far. And now, really, I think just the, the rest of the book is just sort of the outcome of this coming together. And at the same time, it's not just sort of, it is sort of an epilogue in a way, but also it's looking forward to really the rest of the Bible and the promises and the prophecies that we have concerning these brothers uh, are really going to show forth in the outcropping and outcome of the whole Old Testament as well as the New Testament. Right. So... Uh, sorry, I'm highlighting something, but on the idea of Jacob, it's interesting in verse 18, it says, I'll give you the best of the land of Egypt and you eat the fat of the land. That reminds me of Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. I think the Old Testament really gives light to that idea of the meek inherit the earth. Um, kind of like uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, where Paul tells Timothy, you know, from childhood, you've known the Holy Scriptures that are able to make you wise unto salvation, uh, unto the salvation that is through faith in Christ Jesus. Um, you know, I think the Old Testament really pictures salvation in stories, illustrations, prophecies. And I think when he says, I'm going to give you the best of the land of Egypt, I think it's not appreciated enough by me, uh, and I'm sure by everyone, um, when we humble ourselves and when we live for the Lord, God and his graciousness towards us, it's like, like what Jesus said in Luke chapter 18, when the rich young ruler refused to follow Jesus, Jesus said, whoever loses households, farms, brother, sister, father, mother, wife, whatever, will receive many times as much now and in the age to come eternal life. You know, so I think in verse 18, that that's, that's a type where they were going to get the best Christians. Like when our expectation and hope is no longer set on earthly gain, when we can open our eyes and realize the spiritual riches of the treasures of God's kingdom that are lavishly given we can begin to be like the apostle Paul when he could say, possessing nothing and yet having all things uh, as having nothing, but making many rich. Um, yeah, it just, it just seems like there's a truth of, of the riches and the glory of, of how we today right now receive the grandest and the best of God's treasure house. Uh, I don't know if that makes sense, but. It does to me. <laughs> I, you know, there's a statement made about the New Jerusalem in the book of Revelation that I think kind of goes along with that. So Revelation 21, eight, uh, 18, the construction of its wall was of jasper and the city was pure gold like clear glass. And I, I uh, one of the commentaries I've uh, looked at concerning Revelation suggested this talks about the nature of really the the basis is that the new Jerusalem laid out in revelation 21 is actually the spiritual city of Jerusalem that we have right now in the existence that we have in Christ right now. And, uh, right. So there's the sense that from outside that Jasper stone is brilliant, but you can't really see through it. 
It's it's it looks nice, but if you ever look at a jasper stone, it's not very clear. And then the city itself is pure gold, like clear glass. Um, and and it's the sense mm. that when you're inside of the kingdom, you're inside of the New Jerusalem. You can see clearly. Uh, you you come to understand it. But the people outside of the kingdom, they can't understand the nature of that kingdom. They can't understand the city, even though it may look appealing to them. Right. And so, I, you know, yeah, maybe I'm pulling too far from that. But I, I, I love the fact that here is a pagan king saying here, even though he doesn't say this, but it's like even though we've already established in the previous chapter that uh, uh, what was it that, that the uh, Hebrews, uh, the the were an abomination to the Egyptians back in 43 and in verse 32, right? Um, even though they're an abomination to the Egyptians, yeah. they're going to allow them to stay in their land. They're giving them this land in Egypt to stay in and live in. Oh man. And Stephen, get this. So he, he sent like, Donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt. And it's like Ephesians 1. You don't don't have to whisper. He talks about, I have to keep it under control. (laughs) (laughs) In Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, he talks about, because, you know, in in Ephesians 1, 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. But then in 13 and 14, he mentions that in him, after believing to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. It's like, Wah! so what God has done is the same thing. He's given us an evidence of the riches of his commitment that his familial relationship with us is something that he's committed to. He's committed to bringing us home. He's supplying us with everything we need to make the journey. He wants to give us evidence that the riches of what what's in heaven, the best of it all has already been given to us. And all of this is meant to draw us to the end of the promise with a view to the redemption of God's possession. It's like the same principle of what Joseph was doing with Jacob and his brothers. Yeah, I can totally see that. And it, it's, it, it, Again, it's kind of this thing where it's like the way this all works out is all through God's providence. There's nothing that, you know, God is not doing anything to Pharaoh to cause him to do this. This is Pharaoh's own idea. And that's what makes it all the more amazing, I think. This is not even Joseph's idea. Yeah, big time, big time. Wow. And then he gave them changes of garments? (laughs) I mean, come on. Those of you who are in Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Like when we're on our way to our home, God gives us a change of clothing. uh, Again, sort of that same kind of language in Revelation, the the people under the altar in Revelation 6 are given the white garments. And I think that's mentioned at least one other place in Revelation. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, it's it's like uh, I think it's in two or three places in Revelation it emphasizes the white garments that were being given, and so, but but they they have the the preparations to go back and and uh, you know prepare and to bring everyone back. Um, yeah, you, 
sort of interesting to see that. And so again, too, I want to bring this in too, that this is the beginning of the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham in the sense that for 400 years, your people will be uh, in a land that they don't know, right? That, that, that a land that's not theirs. So that's, this is the beginning of that, the fulfillment of that promise as well. Oh, it's even 45 said, you will be near me, you and your children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. John 17, 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory, which you have given me for you love me before the foundation of the world. Joseph is doing until the fulfillment of the promise, exactly what Jesus prayed to the father to do with us until the fulfillment of the promise. Yeah, you're right. I've never really thought about that before. That is very cool. Man, God's word is just so incredible. The the thing about this is I don't think we're stretching this to an obscene nature. (laughs) It's it's just very, very simple connections. I think that we're making. Yeah, exactly. This is just treating God's word as divine. You know, as having a singular intention, as God having one thing in his mind from beginning to end, as God knowing what he would do. You know, when when we begin to treat God's word as being of a divine mind, then we can begin to understand that it's not a stretch to connect things that seem so far away textually when they have the same principle Mm -hmm. and the same ideas connected in Christ. Let's take this text and apply it. Let's look at it together and really look at ourselves. That's primarily what we're doing. Um, there's a There was a man who climbed Mount Everest once, and he's quoted as saying, it is not the mountain we climb, but ourselves. And it's, it's the sense that, um, Ooh, wow. I can't remember that guy's that's name, serious. but <laughs> I'm sure that there might might be someone on their phone right now Googling it. But I know the quote. The quote is, it is not the mountain we <laughs> conquer, but ourselves. I think that's what it is. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's so, so dumb. dumb, but it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of cliched when you really think about it. But still, uh, that's what we're doing in application. So we're we're so looking true. at ourselves and we're trying to uh, face ourselves and confront where we fall short in the light of scripture. Yeah. And so Bryant, what are some things that really uh, seem to be important applications that we need to make from this story in Genesis 44 and 45? Okay. So um, one that came to my mind as we were talking, it was actually first Thessalonians chapter two. Let me, I turn in my Bible there. So Joseph and just how he wept with his brothers and just how they kissed each other and the joy they had. 
Um, Paul said, for who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. I think one application is just being more connected in hope and joy with the brethren and just recognizing just how much how much we should be sharing in the glory of what we've been given with with fellow saints you know and that can be that can be so hard when christians are so imperfect and weak and need so much patience but man you look at the kind of attitude that paul had toward brethren and it's like he was so aware these are the people that I'm spending eternity with, people who God loves and has poured himself into. And so I just, I need to have that attitude so much more. And and I just couldn't help but think about that as, as we talked about Joseph's reaction to his brothers and the brothers to Joseph and just how how Joseph wanted them to have joy together and not to quarrel with one another. Just All of that just really, really impressed me. They hated him. They despised him. They conspired to kill him. They put him into a pit, ripped his gift from his father, covered it with blood, sold him into slavery. From slavery, he was falsely accused and put into prison. He was forgotten while he was in prison. Until finally, the butler said, oh, yeah, there's this guy that can interpret dreams, Pharaoh. And now his brothers are there. And that it, it astounds me mm. that this is his reaction. Yeah, amen. Because I'm ashamed to say, Bryant, that I've felt offense toward my own brethren yeah. over very right. slight things. Right. Right. You know, especially in consideration of that. And, uh, you know, how often do we get mad at somebody for looking at us the wrong way? Mm. (laughs) And uh, how many relationships are utterly destroyed uh, from from that level of hurt Mm. that we hold on to? And, Mm. uh, you know, it tells us that I think I think Joseph had good boundaries. I think he had a place where he's like, hey, you know what? This is really not up to you. This was all up to God. Right. And if we think about it that way, I mean, you know, one of the big uh, points of that lesson I mentioned earlier that I preached the other day was that, you know, Joseph was a victim in every way. And in some ways, I think Joseph was a victim in more ways than a person could be. Most people are in this life. And yet... Victimhood is so common and so, uh, you know, I think that the culture of victimization is out there. Right. And I don't think you have to look too far, Bryant, for someone to be calling for the death of somebody because they disagree with them about something politically. Right. And so, and, and, and I mean, we talk about how divided we are in this country, but we really need to be looking inward and consider where where is my heart yeah and and again you know joseph just happens to be one of these characters that it doesn't really seem like there's anything said about him at any place where he did something wrong that doesn't mean that he never did but 
it, it makes it so much easier, I think, to take the lessons we learn from him and really put them into practice. Um, and yeah. we talk about how we don't, we need to be careful that the foibles, the, the weaknesses of these Old Testament characters should not keep us from appreciating the lessons we need to learn. Right. Well, here's a man that, I mean, he's still a man. He's not perfect, but it doesn't seem like he's doing anything wrong. It seems like, <laughs> it seems like everything's being dumped on him constantly. And yet he excels through God's providence. And I think through his, his own hard work and his, his focus and his dedication. And so he doesn't hold this over his brothers. He, um, he does the right thing. I mean, it's, it's the same way that we ought to be. Um, mm. and, and think about this too. His brothers certainly seem to have been repentant about this. I mean, I can't, right. you know, it just really seems to me again, they didn't fight against any of this. They didn't expect any special treatment. They put themselves in this subservient role. They become the wheat, uh, the, the wheat stalks that bow to his stalk. They become the stars that bow down to him in the sky. Uh, the dream is fulfilled and, you know, glory be to God that he's, he's preserved this for us so that we can learn this and so that we can understand, even when we're dumped on, even when I'm made a victim, that doesn't mean that I have to lash back in that same fashion. Yeah, it's interesting that there's no point, I think, in the story of Genesis where they remember Joseph's dreams and think, wait a minute, wait a minute, God made us bow down to this guy. Like, oh, you know, and they, they never feel slighted by God. They never they never feel like they got the short end of the stick. Like, I, I just think that's, that's all very interesting, you know, and Joseph, neither did Joseph. I'm trying to think of something else I was considering just a minute ago, but I'm not really sure. Um, hmm. You got anything that's on your mind? I do. So this is on my mind from a conversation I had with someone earlier this week who really helped me to understand how to love people more scripturally, more like Jesus in ways that have really challenged me. And I think it's the, it's, it's in line with Judah's example, you know, Judah willing to give himself for Benjamin and just really freely, you know, just willing to, I, you know, Judah had a family and well, goodbye family. You know, he's just ready to take the place of Benjamin to serve Joseph forever. You know, he just, he's just so ready to give himself completely and uh, I think there is a way that we can follow that example. I mean, obviously what Judah did was Christ-like, right? First Thessalonians 2, verse 8. This has just really convicted me and challenged me recently. He says, Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. Here's what's challenged me. So often when I'm studying the Bible with someone who's not a Christian, I leave our relationship at that. All we do, we only study together. And somebody challenged me recently to look at this verse. And his point was, was all Paul doing with the Thessalonians when he was teaching them, was all he was doing was teaching them the gospel as far as just giving them teaching alone. no. He was teaching and giving himself to them, which means that he was spending time with them. He was investing in them. 
And obviously there's wisdom that has to be in that, but we have a living component in representing the message. And that just is so challenging. It's, it's so convenient to just give as little as possible and then commend the rest of them. It is so challenging to begin to emotionally invest in people, to invest time into people, bring them into your life, bring them into your home. There's just so much more difficulty involved in that. And I think it just it, it just makes the truths of the gospel that you're trying to teach someone come so much more richly alive when they when they see it more personably lived out. And and I just I, I have found that to be something challenging, but I've realized how important that is. And so I think what Judah did is something that in small ways we can imitate and just being willing to give our lives to people and for people. That's a very good point. And this is a very small thing, but, you know, one thing I want to try to do, if, if we have a visitor that comes to services, for example, you know, I may change my lunch plans and ask them if they want to go eat somewhere. Exactly. Right. You know, that's just a very simple thing. It's not something that's like praiseworthy or laudable. I'm just saying that that's just a a simple, very simple thing we can try to do to, to go more in that direction. Um, That's right. Yeah. Yep. So, yep. I think it relates to how when Jesus sent out his disciples, he would say to them, stay in the house that welcomes you. Right. Don't move from house to house. You know, he was saying, teach them, but you are yourself a representation of the message and you need to connect with these people and be intimate and engage with them give yourself to them and i just man i've just really failed to follow that example and it's just got to change and and i i do feel like just to kind of um share this too sometimes i do feel like I'm studying the Bible with someone with this study and then I get back in, in my truck and I just kind of feel like, okay, now, <laughs> now regular right. life resumes. <laughs> just thinking, right, well, right, right. Exactly. You know, no, I think so back true. at that, I'm like, oh, you know, I need to be, be careful about that. I don't, yeah. you know, uh, uh, sequester myself, uh, you know, uh, any more than I should. Um, and yeah, you like you say, you want to use wisdom for that. It's not a one size fits all policy. Absolutely. Yep. It's just the challenge of loving people legitimately, you know? Hmm. And, 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 you know, another aspect of this too is uh, keep in mind that the things in your life do indeed happen, um, you know, for some particular reason. Uh, I I say that carefully, but I say that from a standpoint that, you know, back to the comment that, you know, uh, that, that, God sent me before you to preserve life. You know, God, God never, we don't have any evidence from the text that God said to Jake, uh, Joseph, I'm sending you to Egypt to preserve life. I think, I think Joseph put that together on his own. I don't think he mm. needed a verbatim mm. message from God to figure that right. out. And neither do we, we don't right. need this, uh, uh, still small voice that, that tells us in our ear, you know, on the winds, what God wants for us in our lives. We just simply need to know him and to be able to look in our lives to see, I mean, you know, Brian, just the fact that you and I are together in this, uh, in making this podcast, I mean, that, that that's God's providence, you know, 
Right. And uh, I don't think that takes anything supernatural from God. Uh, I think it just right. is something that is there and we can appreciate it for what it is. Right. Something that I was, I just thought of as well with Joseph, with his brothers, Joseph was eager to share the riches of the exaltation God gave him with those closest to him. And I think about that, Paul, Paul in Ephesians three says he was preaching among the Gentiles, the unfathomable riches of Christ, you know, and and to the Corinthians, Paul would emphasize that as Christians, you've received exaltation from God. You've received everything from God. Why act as if you still need anything in the world when God has given you everything? And I wonder if that's a part of what motivates the message is the more I realize the exalted position I've been given and the riches I've been given, the more eager I'll be to share those riches with others, especially those closest to me. Yeah, you can't you can't be excited about sharing heaven if you don't really appreciate what it's going to be like. Or, right. you know, just the, I mean, really just the existence, the eternal existence that we have now. Uh, I think, again, that we miss out when we don't think of our existence in Christ as being right now. If we just think about this far off uh, uh, state of, well, someday we'll be in heaven. If that's all we think about, I think we're missing a lot. I think we're missing some very clear promises, some very clear statements in the New Testament that we are now in the heavenly places in Christ. And, you know, uh, statements like that that make it clear that this is an existence that we have right now. And how awesome is that existence? We're in the same heavenly places as Jesus Christ. We're in the same spot that God lifted up his son into after he returned triumphant from the grave and ascended to the right hand of the father. And, and we're in that same place spiritually. And, and that's just a really wonderful thing to keep in mind that, that just like Joseph, uh, excuse me, just like Israel and his family were about to come from a very meager situation to having Uh, plenty that, Hey, if you're a Christian today, that's what you have. And, in the words of a noted atheist, Pendulette, <laughs> you'd have to be the most selfish person in the world not to want to share that with someone else. You know, and I, 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 maybe I shouldn't be quoting atheist there, but I think it's very, a very interesting thing that he said that, that, you know, if you had the secret of eternal right. life, how selfish is it to guard that and not tell others about it? Um, right. You know, that, that's, that's exactly what we need to be thinking of is we have these great blessings of God these great promises of God. And he has commanded us to share that with others. And so there is an evangelistic aspect to this because isn't that what Pharaoh's doing? He's saying, go back and tell your family about this and bring them, bring them here. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Well, thank you so much for listening today. We hope this has been a useful experience for you. Certainly has been useful for Bryant and I, and Bryant, thank you so much for your Mm -hmm. time today. Absolutely. Absolutely. What a good, what a gift to get to do it. And uh, Lord willing, next time we'll be going into Genesis chapter 46. Until then, study well and be lights to God's glory.
The music on this podcast is provided courtesy of Symphonia. Visit their website at symphonia.com. Walking Through the Book is created and promoted with the support of the North Columbus Church of Christ in Columbus, Mississippi. Find out more at northcolumbuschristians.com. The website of the Garden City Church of Christ in Savannah, Georgia is gardencitycoc.org.